0: Welcome to the Cult of Domesticity podcast, a podcast about history, true crime, and whatever life brings us. I'm Courtney, and every week I am joined by another fascinating person. Let's see what we're going to talk about this week. Oh, Maxwell's back, and we're going to talk about one of my favorite mysterious women in history, Anne Boleyn. <gasps>
1: oh, I love a mysterious woman, and I love Anne Boleyn, so this is great.
0: I picked it. Just for you. <laughs> oh,
1: thank you, thank you. I, I'll try not to. I'll try not to lose my head over it. <laughs> you see what he did there.
0: I'm already like two drinks in, so that's great.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, as soon as I said that, my partner, without even turning around, just raised his hand and flipped me the bird. So we're already <laughs> off to a great start. Yeah. Um, yeah. I. I in mean, Um. So just like a little bit of an update. Uh. I now live in a studio, so it's kind of like the pioneers. Where all the family, two people and a dog, live in the same space. So I can my whole the, the entirety of my cult of domesticity is within five feet of either either side of me. So
0: um, my whole cult of domesticity is a microwave and a mini fridge. So it's all you
1: need. It's all you need.
0: Until you show up to your hotel room and the mini fridge is gone and you're like, shit. Or not the mini fridge, my microwave. I showed up yesterday and my microwave was gone because there's one microwave at this hotel. So if anyone requests it, it disappears from my room.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. It's kind of like like the fate. Instead of sharing an eye, everyone shares a microwave.
0: Yes. And unfortunately, the hotel, the pub's open, so I couldn't even like sneak into the restaurant kitchen and cook myself something. So tonight I had, Aww. well, I get employee pricing, which is the benefit of that. So, that is awesome. All right.
1: Tell me about Anne Boleyn.
0: So, she is the daughter of Thomas Boleyn, Earl of Wiltshire and Earl of Ormont, and his wife, Lady Elizabeth Howard, daughter of... Thomas Howard, Duke of Norfolk, which is a very, very powerful duke if you know your English history. They kind of are kingmakers.
1: I, I don't, but um, I should because I am visiting that country in less than a month, so. So jelly. I <laughs> will brush up on that before I go over.
0: Just go to the tower and just don't make beheading jokes there. I feel like it's a little in poor taste.
1: I don't want to get haunted, so probably a good idea. So kingmakers, you say? Interesting. Yes.
0: Yes, they're very important people. Well, Thomas Bolin is a respected diplomat, well-versed in his languages, and a favorite of Henry VII. As you can guess, Henry VIII's father. They they only have, like, six names in the English dynasties, it feels like. So he, Thomas Bolin gets sent on diplomatic missions abroad, which is how Anne and her siblings end up educated abroad. But for... Mm-hmm. Their youth, they're, they're at Hever Castle in Kent, so southern England. And the fun thing, um, everything about Anne Boleyn, you really should take with a grain of salt. Like, it's just everything was written after her death and changed after her death. So we don't actually know her date of birth because um, parish records from the period are kind of spotty. And they're home in Norfolk at Bickling. Really wasn't quite sturdy on that. So Mm -hmm. we kind of have some historians trying to figure out. An Italian in the 1600s said she was born in 1499. Wait, why an
1: Italian?
0: An Italian historian, because she was such a controversial figure. She, like, people were curious about her at the time. Okay. Sir Thomas More's son-in-law, William Roper, said a date of, like, around 1512. But most people are kind of going between 1501 and 1507. Gotta love early history. Everything's kind of made up.
1: The sliding scale. <laughs> yeah.
0: Age. yeah. While, like, really none of her siblings are really, their dates aren't really known, we do know that her sister Mary was older than her. And their brother George, they think, was born around 1508. So, like, it's iffy if he's older or younger, He's but he's definitely close in age. And she received a typical education because of her father's position as an ambassador. In 1513, she was invited to join the schoolroom of Margaret of Austria and her four wards. You know, just learning stuff with princesses. And her actual academic education, she got some arithmetic, your family genealogy, which should still be a class, I feel like. (laughs) Yeah, that'd
1: be really cool.
0: Right? Instead of having no. to do, like, Ancestry.com and then finding out that you're e- the East Area Rapist. <laughs> that's fine. Yeah.
1: What if Anne Boleyn is... Never mind.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. It's everyone's related to Genghis Khan because he couldn't stop fucking everyone.
1: <laughs> We're through the looking glass.
0: Um, she learned some grammar, which is good. I didn't really think they had grammar, but that's fine. History, reading, spelling, eh, and writing. Sorry, there's no standardized spelling, so I don't know what spelling you're learning.
1: Yeah. How do you go off of it? Also, like their alphabet was weird. Like two F's, this is an S? What's going on here?
0: Oh the long the long F? Yeah, yeah. I yeah, I hate that. It's so annoying. Debating, <laughs> is this an F? Is this an S? What is happening? Um so <laughs> Suitable to this podcast, her domestic skills were dancing, embroidery, I know a little embroidery, good manners, have none, household management, <laughs> maybe, I was folding fitted cheese before this, um, music, I uh, uh, needlework, kind of, and singing. That'd be cool. Which everyone here who's listened to this has heard me sing, and I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> it's interesting that dancing is considered a domestic skill. Ugh.
0: Does salsa dancing count as a domestic skill? Then I can do it. Salsa dancing and polka. There's no other skills I have with that.
1: I bet you said that Anne Boleyn was versed in salsa dancing, and I had so many questions and got really excited.
0: That would be amazing. But, yeah. That would be so amazing. Um, so on top of those skills, she also learned how to play games like cards, chests, and dice, which I don't know how you play dice except for rolling them, as well as learning how to compete in archery, falconry, which is throwing falcons up to kill things.
1: I'm so into it. Bring that back. Oh, yeah. Gosh. I want to throw a falcon at my enemies. <laughs> Anyways, Anne Boleyn, shooting falcons at people, rolling, dice. Just,
0: rolling just, dice, just
1: being a bamf. Go on.
0: Riding riding horses and hunting, which I want to know what type of hunting, but it wasn't specific. Foxes.
1: So... Just guessing.
0: <laughs> Probably. Or or deer. So sure. Anne's father continues his diplomatic career after Henry VII died, and he's now under Henry VIII, which, okay, that's a little sexual. My bad. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> okay, that's so funny, because I thought it I was going to say something, but, like, that's obnoxious. Courtney's going to be like Maxwell, so thank you for doing my job for me.
0: <laughs> I've already said some uh, things tonight that I've shamed myself for, so.
1: God help anyone who's under Henry VIII. Eighth. King I mean, pretty- not to body sham, but like there are there are people who are of a bigger size and very sexy. I do not think King Henry VIII was one of them.
0: What you don't like a man who, after his uh, he beheads a second wife, gets really fat and has a gouty leg? That's not sexy. I mean,
1: granted, technically speaking, he is the founder of my church, but at the same time, there were better ones who did stuff with that. So you know. I guess from a theological perspective, he probably had some good ideas. But also as like a human, he was kind of terrible.
0: No, he was just a terrible human. he wasn't theologically advanced. He was like, man, I want to bang this other woman and have her as my wife. New church.
1: Wow. That says a lot about a lot. Um, But he did. Yeah. He gave us, uh, he gave us Episcopalism or Church of England. And he also gave us Queen Elizabeth the first. So, you know, he, he served his purpose and he did bring about good things, but uh, yeah.
0: He brought about some interesting things. Thomas uh, wins over many admirers with his charmed charms, including Margaret of Austria who is the daughter of Maximilian, like you, the <gasps> first.
1: Me, my daughter.
0: Um, the Holy Roman Emperor, which, man, if you want to get in the Holy Roman Empire, that's it's not an empire, it's not Roman, and it's a pain in the church's ass, but besides that, you know, it's a fun time. Thanks, Charlemagne. Uh, so, well... The significance of this is Margaret was ruling the Netherlands for her nephew Charles. You're like, hmm, Charles? Who's Charles? Probably Charles of Spain. So he will become the Holy Roman Empire, Emperor later on. Also, want to guess who his aunt is?
1: Um, Eleanor of Aquitaine. Wow, I'm way off base there. Sorry you're about little, that. You're a little, you're
0: a little early or a little late. Uh.
1: Okay. Uh, Think of Henry VIII. Mary? One of the Marys?
0: No. One of the other okay. popular names. Who is his I first mean, there's wife? There's
1: There's Mary and then there's Anne, and that's it. Who is who is King Henry VIII's first wife? You are going to completely destroy all of my credibility as a <laughs> podcaster related to history. I'm going to guess uh, also Anne?
0: No, it's Catherine. And Catherine
1: of, Catherine of, uh, Catherine, 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 Catherine of Aragon, I was going to say Catherine <laughs> of Aragon, actually, but then I was like, Aragon isn't a real place, Maxwell, that's from Lord of the Rings. No, it it's is. It's a real place. And it's that's a region And Catherine's Spain. last name. Oh, yeah, you're right. Cool. Go on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> her father is Ferdinand of uh, Aragon and and he- her mother is uh, Isabel of Castile. Margaret is so impressed with Thomas Boleyn that she offers his daughter and aunt a place in her household, which is very, very fucking important, because basically, um, if you're in that high position of a household, you get so many favors, you can go to any kind of royal court and it's i mean it's insane that she's getting that that young because she could have been it's
1: like it's like the black card at planet fitness you can just do everything for 20 dollars a month you can get tanning you can get full body uh sculpture you can enhancement whatever it's called you get water massage you get to bring a guest that's that
0: that sounds awesome um, also you could probably get better matches in marriage, which at this point is all women are good for besides <laughs> being a that's... t-shirt cannon for babies.
1: <laughs> Gross.
0: That's, I'm just going to get, I think I should just make a t-shirt that says I'm not a t-shirt cannon and it's only a woman's t-shirt. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Let's get, okay. So the Archduchess, so that's Margaret, refers to Anne as her. La Oh, we're going to get me to pronounce some French. You're welcome for this. La petite boleyn.
1: My little boleyn. My little
0: yeah, my little boleyn. Because she impressed all of them in the Netherlands with her manners and her studiousness. And she was well-spoken and pleasant for her young age. So, And, and she his, sounded like a fun time. I know, right? You can get right. to hang out with a bunch of royals and eat good food and hopefully not Roll get some to play. dice.
1: Toss some falcons.
0: Throwing falcons at people. toss the falcons at that plague. Yeah. <laughs> I really now want falconry to just be, like, holding falcons and then just chucking them at people, but I know that's not what it is.
1: Go Xerxes, fetch me a fish and bring it back to me.
0: Bring me Yee. a fish. Bring that's me a shrubbery. Nose. Bring me a shrubbery.
1: No, bring me a fucking smoothie. Like, if a falcon's gonna go do some shit for me, like, get stuff that I want. A smoothie. Uh oh. pizza.
0: Oh my god! Uh, I want pizza. Whatever video so game bad.
1: I want. Yeah. Oops. Sorry about that. Well, it's still early-ish where you are. So, all right. Bring me back like a falcon. We are in Le Petit Boulin.
0: Anne's hanging out with Margaret. Uh, pretty much from the spring of fifteen thirteen until her father arranges for her to attend Henry VIII's sister Mary, who was going to marry <laughs> Louis Louis the twelfth. God, so many uh-huh. Louis of France. In October, uh-uh. fifteen fourteen. Whoa, fanciness. So Anne is a maid of honor to Queen Mary, and Mary's fifteen-year-old stepdaughter, Queen Claude. That's just awkward. Like I don't know how old Queen Mary is of France at this time, but to have a fifteen-year-old stepdaughter, ready, you're like, damn, girl's probably fifteen herself. Um, and she hangs <laughs>
1: better out MSC or I'm gonna marry your dad and make you my stepkid.
0: <laughs> exactly. And she did. I don't think she threatened that. I think she was told to do that, but... uh, Mm, Probably. And they hang out from 1514 for seven years. So, during this time, Anne completed her study of French um, and gets some interest in art, fashion, illuminated manuscripts, as all the teens do, literature, music, poetry, and religious philosophy, again, as all the kids do. You know when you're a teen and you're studying that religious ph- philosophy?
1: Oh man, you should have seen my illuminated manuscripts when I was a teenager. S- collected them like Pokemon cards.
0: Oh, yeah. So, on top of this, she gets a knowledge of the French culture, dance, etiquette, literature, music, and poetry and learns to gain experience in flirtation as the French do and the game of courtly love,
1: the big the most important game of all.
0: Yes. <laughs> So, let's kind of figure out what Anne looks like at this point, because there's a varying descriptions, and I know the, the portraits of her aren't always considered accurate. So, she's of average height, so probably like, actually my height, about 5'5". Five five. She's slender with a long, uh, long, straight, thick black or dark brown hair, some dark brown eyes, a considerably strong nose, which I don't understand what that means. A definite wide mouth with slim lips, so big mouth, slim lips, and an olive complexion. And most people consider her to be brilliant, charming, driven, elegant, forthright, graceful, with a keen wit, lively, opinionated, and a passionate personality. So really, just me. (laughs) (laughs) You're the host. So, so, so yes. I think personality-wise, probably. Looks-wise, most likely not. (laughs) So basically everyone at the French court is loving her because, um, you know, they love their archery, throwing falcons at each other, hunting, gaming. But this is where people start to say, hey, Anne has a sharp tongue and a terrible temper. I'm like, this seems like for her. foreshadowing in her later life. On top of it, because... Hmm?
1: I said maybe. I mean, I know how it ends, hmm. so I'm just trying to be coy. But- <laughs>
0: Do you know what the religious uh, happenings in France are going on at this point?
1: I'm gonna have to guess. It has something to do with the Protestants not being a fan of the Catholics. Is this the Huguenots? Am I off base again? Was it the Huguenots? No, no. It was. It was is. The Fra- yeah. Was it- yeah. It is. Oh, was?
0: Huh. Well, we'll just leave that in. <laughs> um. So at this point, you have the Edict of Nantes, which gave permission for French Protestants to live in France, but. There's some tension in there as well that's starting to come about, and this is very early on because the Protestant Revolu- Reformation happens when Martin Luther publishes slash maybe nails his ninety-five theses in fifteen seventeen. So mm-hmm. you see a change in the view of Catholicism, but and because of the super Catholicism in France, which really stays. For a very long time. Um, she gets trained in this. What we now know is. Evangelical kind of French humanism. And she likes the vernacular version of the Bible. Over the Latin. And she's going to um, hold more reformist positions. Like the pap- papacy. Corrupting Christianity. Um, really devo- like moving her devotions to vir- the Virgin Mary. Well. I don't know, I feel like her father probably heard about this, slash, she's been gone long enough in Europe, and she's trained, so that he's like, okay, time to get married. So in 1521, Thomas calls Anne back and says, your education is done, and she sails from Calais, which is, again, if you know your Brit- English history, a uh, British city in France, um, in January 1522. Thomas planned to marry Anne to her Irish cousin James Butler. Um he's several years older than her and he's living at the English Court and this is really an attempt to settle the dispute over the title and estates of the earldom of Ormond. So really it's just mm-hmm. we needed to unite these families so we can know who the fuck owns this title and these lands. <laughs> Henry um the 8th who's like uh this might Lead to civil war in Ireland. Um, and he was actually the one who sought to arrange the marriage. She would bring the or her Ormond inheritance as a dowry and ending the dispute. The plan failed because Sir Thomas Bolin wanted a grander marriage for Anne and he wanted the title. But this is just speculation on the reason why the marriage negoci- negotiations ended. But Anne is already back in England now. And we're going to see some effects of that. On top of this, um, Anne's older sister, Mary, who had been called back from France earlier because possibly she was having affairs with the French king and his courtiers. It is France. So That's what you do. I mean, what else do you do in France? So her father marries her to William Carey, who's a minor noble, in February of 1520, with Henry VIII in attendance, suspiciously soon after, Mary Boleyn becomes Henry VIII's mistress. Woo! Hmm. Also, it's a bit of a debate whether or not Henry VIII fathered one or both of Mary Boleyn's char- children during her marriage to William Carey. Poor William Carey. Uh, he doesn't acknowledge either children as he's done with his previous il- illegitimate son, Henry Fitzroy. By Lady Elizabeth Blout, Lady of Cowboys. Well.
1: Lady of Cowboys?
0: Yes. I love British royalty or, like, nobility, like, location names because they're pretty hilarious. So how does Anne get introduced to the English court? Easy. She makes her debut at the Chateau Vert or the Green Castle pageant in honor of imperial ambassadors in March 1522, playing Perseverance. Uh, Basically, they would perform, like, ladies of the court and the men of the court would perform plays. And if you watch the Tudors, they actually do a really good job of showing, like, the entertainment, half the time was by actors, half the time was by the nobles who just wanted to do something with their lives.
1: Uh, it might not, it might not. So,
0: yeah, I know. Uh, so it's an elaborate dance where she's with Henry's younger sister, Mary, and several other ladies of the court and her sister, Mary. Um, all these girls, just imagine, close your eyes. Um, unless you're driving, then don't close your eyes. All these girls are wearing gowns of white satin with gold. Embroidered with gold thread, and there's a girl with dark brown or black hair, and she's basically putting herself out there as the beauty of the court and dancing, not twerking. I don't know how they dance, but I'm assuming twirling around, lovelyly, lovingly, and all the gu- oh, all the guys Lots are wrist, staring at her. Yeah,
1: hands on hands, the the, the hand twirling. Uh, yeah, saucy. The
0: hair, the hair flipping everything, you know, all the guys are like, they got the little heart eye emojis, even Henry. (laughs) So, Anne uh, basically is top bitch now for all these young gentlemen to either wed or bed. And Anne is being courted by Henry Percy, the son of the Earl of Northumberland, which is, again, a very... Fancy and old title, and and to everyone's later shock, she entered into a secret betrothal with him. According to certain individuals, they had not been lovers, so it's okay. Their engagement is broken off because Percy's father refused to support their engagement, thinking, uh, uh, no. Anne's family isn't probably high enough for him and other reasons probably because her sister is a whore i'm not gonna say she's a whore because that's historically i mean she kind of she's she's a woman who puts her favors where she wants but at the time she would have been considered a whore
1: Was okay so like sex worker got it
0: yeah i don't want to slut shame her because you do you but who knows how much of that was her own choice and family political maneuvering. So Anne's sent back to her countryside estates while they kind of separate her from this secret engagement. Well, when she returns to court, she enters into the service of Catherine of Aragon, who we know is Henry's first wife of many, many, many years. And Percy is now married to Lady Mary Talbot, who he had actually been betrothed to since his adolescence. Awkward.
1: I said, okay. Just
0: mom, you know when you enter a secret betrothal when you're already betrothed, it's fine. So Anne, as she's at in Catherine's service, betren- befriends Sir Thomas Wyatt, who is a bomb ass poet, and we already know she loves poetry. Um, while Wyatt is married to a woman, we know he's not pleased because he didn't pick his wife, and. <laughs> he'd only been married to her five years before he separated from her with the charges of adultery his, some historians like to say he might have divorced his wife because of anne you never know she could have been really interesting and we know in 1532 he does accompany anne and henry to france well in 1526 henry notices our lovely anne and begins to pursue her mind you He's already slept with his sister. Like, it's a well-known fact. He's already been with his sister, her sister, and, like, I don't know how I feel about that. Which is creepy enough. But since Anne had been trained in France, uh she knew the game of courtly love, which is often played in the antechamber. So, like, you have these, ba- like, these castles, if you've ever been to them. They'll have a big, like, reception room, and then there's a bunch of little side rooms. So you have to kind of, like, catch someone's eye, and you'll, like, be in the corner of one, and then go, like, leave and, like, time it out. It's, I can't think of a better way to think of it. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing it's a little bit like Pretty Little Liars, except for instead of murdering people and spilling their secrets, you're trying to hook up with someone, and you're like oh, I know what you've done. And they come over like, oh, you think you know what I've done? And then you're hoping no one knows who you are. Like, that you're having a a little secret tryst. Um, But Anne, it's well known that Anne kind of resists him. She goes, I don't want to be your mistress. Like, I don't want to be another one of those girls. I want to be a wifey, according to Unreal. She wants to be a wifey, not a side hoe. And... (laughs) She does this like kind of like pushes Henry off by retreating to her family's home of Hever Castle, which I'm like, yes, girl, you don't want you don't want him to think you're you're super easy, especially at a time where if you were super easy, everyone knew go to your family's home, read some books, throw some falcons, do your shit. Well, within a year, she Henry proposes marriage to her and she's like, Yes, I will marry you, Henry. You're the king of England, obviously. And both of them are like, Avi, we can get this annulment from Cat. Ka- you can get this annulment from Catherine super easy. Like, annulment for Henry was based on the fact that Catherine was married to his brother before. That's why she came over there. And Henry's father was um, one Not super secure on his throne, if you know anything about the War of the Roses. And so he wanted that, and he needed some cash, because, you know, wars be expensive. So when Henry's brother, Arthur, a.k.a. Catherine's husband, died before they could produce an heir, he's like, we're going to keep Catherine around here so I can keep that sweet, sweet Spanish money. And it ended up that Catherine was super pretty, super smart, and she won over Henry who was younger than her. But this is, like, 20 years later, and they have no sons, and only have Mary, which England's, like, inheritance laws for the throne are a bit iffy on that. Henry had gotten a dispensation from the Pope. It's Pope Julius II, in case you were wondering, saying that basically Arthur, his brother, and Catherine didn't sleep together. there's this whole thing about in the Bible about not sleeping with your this brother's like wife. like Mean Girls. Yeah, pretty much. You need, like, some royal doth decree to say, like, yes, you can sleep with someone because someone else didn't sleep with them. Yeah, it's, like, so dumb. So when they got married in 1509, um, they, like, Catherine kept getting pregnant but not actually having kids. Like, either they would live a couple days and die or they'd be stillborn and she kept having miscarriages, which, I mean, God, that poor woman. But Henry, who is well known in his younger years when he's super attractive and all that, is super religious as well. And he's just beginning to see this as God's displeasure that he's screwing his his brother's wife. So this is kind of where Henry begins to think, oh, maybe I should uh, look at this Bible and say, hey, there's no pope in here. And he thinks he's been living in sin with Catherine for all these years. Catherine super Catholic that she is, is like, uh, no.
1: So you in the first part of her name.
0: I know. She's like, uh, no, I did not sleep with your brother. Never consummated. Did she say it just like that? I'm going to say yes, because I'm trying to do my best Spanish accent while tipsy, so. We're gonna I thought go it was yes.
1: British, okay.
0: No, I was doing the, uh, th- 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 the Spanish TH.
1: No, never consummated the relationship.
0: You never consummated, yes.
1: This is Penelope Cruz. As Catherine of Aragon, I don't know what that was. Okay, I'm done.
0: <laughs> I'm she tired. would make a great Catherine of Aragon. Why is that? She not would. That?
1: That's a good idea. Anyways, back to the Hoenn.
0: And back to the back to the, to getting to the Hoenn to be church sanctioned Um <laughs> Problems beyond the fact that Catherine's like, I did not sleep with your brother. This also means his one legitimate heir, Mary, would be a bastard. Also. He Henry would have to convince the new pope, because if anyone knows popes during this period, they tend to not last very long and also, you know, have different alliances. So we're on Pope Clement Seventh. He would have to admit to a previous pope's mistake, which Catholic Church is, you know, and annul the marriage. So <laughs> my favorite is everyone in Europe began to refer to this annulment as the King's Great Matter.
1: It's such like a British like way of dancing around the subject of basically just like he wanted to be a slut. Yeah, and like have the church be okay with it.
0: Hey church, can I be okay can you be okay with my sledding? And the church's like, uh no. He's like, but you know you wanna be okay with my sledding, and they're like, No, Henry, keep your dick in your pants. (laughs) So uh Anne realizes, okay, I can't sleep with him yet because don't wanna break my faith and, you know, become a whore. So she begins to only, like, kind of let him show affection if he acknowledges her as queen.
1: Oh, yes. That is how you play your cards, madam.
0: Get it. Get it, girl. Um, also, she begins to, like, take like be next to him in policy and in state and, like, give him advice on top of this. So, two years after their relationship starts. In 1518, sweating sickness, which is... I, I, I've i never really found a good modern-day interpretation of what sweating sickness is.
1: It's a little bit of an unsolved mystery into a, un, unto itself.
0: Yeah. Basically, it's kind of like a giant like illness epidemic that waves through countries that they think is related to the plague at the time. And it, the sweating sickness goes horribly this year and in London there's a high mortality rate and basically when, when this shit happens or the plague comes up the court scatters the nobles scatter they're like fuck it I'm going to my country palaces where there's not as many people so Henry leaves London he if anyone this is what I love about the Tudors this was actually really right um Henry is terrified of illness and so he's changing his residences like all the time and goes back to have her castle with her family, but she's sick. And this is when her brother in law, Mary's husband, William Carey, dies. And if you've seen the other mm. Bolin girl, it's played by the Benedict Cumbersnatch <laughs> <laughs> with a creepy, <laughs> creepy stash. So,
1: Benedict, creepy stash.
0: Yes. That movie is terrible. The book is okay. The author is 50% historian, 50% romance novel. I'm just going to stop there before I get deep into that because no one wants to hear that. And that's a full episode rant. So Henry, so in love with Anne, sends his own personal physician, which at the time is a, I would say that's a good sign of love <laughs> or lust or he's just really fucking corny. To have her castle to care for Anne. And she recovers! Yay! Because we all know she hasn't died yet. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, with Anne surviving, Henry is basically like, my goal is to get my D in Anne. So, he's focusing on securing his annulment from Catherine. And he's trying to get a direct appeal to the Holy See. So, direct appeal to the College of Cardinals and the Pope. Um, independent of his uh, top man, Cardinal Woolsey, who kind of is, like, his prime minister running his government. And you have to understand, the significance of Cardinal Woolsey can't be underestimated. He's basically run England since Henry has become king. Mm. And he, he like, this is, again, what I love about the Tudors. They show, like, Woolsey, like, had a system. He was running the country, keeping everything balanced, He would let Henry have his way with some things, but not give him everything, you know? Because Henry is very much, it seems like, the person who, he wanted everyone to say yes to him, and he didn't really like when he heard the word no. And we see this later on with the French kings and divine right and whatnot. But the French situation's different in a lot of ways, but the kind of idea of they don't like to hear the word no and they like to get their way in certain matters. So... It's mainly what because he think Woolsey- he is the
1: king of England.
0: <laughs> what does he think he is God's appointed official on earth? It's fine. So, uh, Wolsey kind of has already failed Henry in getting this annulment and all of that. So, Henry sends his secretary in 1527, who is William Knight, spelled like a medieval knight. Um, I enjoy that. To Pope Clement the Seventh to sue for an annulment of Cath from Catherine. Well, um, because he believed that the the previous Pope, Julius II, had been obtained under false pretenses. It's like it was a lie, Catherine lied to marry me. Which if you ever hear about her story when she was in between husbands in England, I would fucking lie too. You know? She was stuck between uh, not having clothes and a hard place. So, Henry also, in petitions, in case he becomes free, a dispensation to contract a new marriage with any woman, um, basically, that he can marry. And he's, everyone knows he's talking about Anne. They're basically like, Henry, we all know that you're doing this to marry Anne. We know this. All of Europe knows this. Everyone knows this. So, are you ready for the interesting part?
1: I mean, I feel like it's already interesting, but lay it on me.
0: So, Henry's secretary goes to see the Pope, and the Pope just happens to be prisoner of a guy named Charles, who happens to be the Holy Roman Emperor, who uh, sacked Rome in May 1527. Where have we, where, how do we know a Charles earlier in this story? And who could he possibly be related to? Someone in Spain, I'm going to guess. Yes, Charles V is king of Spain. And who do we know who's Spanish?
1: Catherine of Aragon. That was not a Spanish accent. I don't know what the fuck that was, but her.
0: <laughs> I love it. Um, yes. So basically, you're asking someone's nephew to be like, Hey, have the Pope divorce your aunt from your uncle. Okay. Okay. Let's get on with this. <laughs> awkward. Um, for some reason, Knight had a difficult time obtaining access to the Pope. Hmm. I don't know why he would have trouble accessing the Pope at this time. It might be the aunt-uncle thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. awkward. So he returned with a conditional dispensation, and Woolsey goes, Yeah, but this isn't really enough. So, technically, he Henry can't divorce Catherine. So, Henry's like, fine. Woolsey, deal with this. Get me fucking divorced. And uh, Woolsey's like, been solving all your problems since you were like 18? Let's get on this. Which, personally, I have a problem with because no one's been solving my problems since I've been 18. So, fuck you, Henry. And Henry, uh, Woolsey convenes, uh, Ecclesi... Ecclesi- <laughs>
1: Ecclesiastical?
0: Ecclesiastical. Thank you. Ecclesiastical. Thanks. There's too many C's in that word. Ecclesiastical court in England. Basically, he gets a bunch of high-up church officials in England. He gets a special dude from Rome to represent the Pope. A guy named Lorenzo Campagio. You can't see it, but I did Italian fingers. Um, okay. <laughs> to just de- decide the matter. Um, Problem. The Pope never agreed to this shit. And the Pope is still a hostage of Charles V. And Charles is like, uh, I'm going to side with my aunt. So even though there's that court and they have a big court case, the Pope's like, um Henry, you can't do anything with marriage until a decision is reached in Rome, not England. So back the fuck off. <laughs> Don't you wish the Pope's actually talked about them like that? And be like, Henry, back the fuck off. <laughs> Calm your dick, jack off of it, deal with it.
1: I can see this is like a drunk history.
0: Uh, I mean, I am a little tipsy. I've moved from wine to whiskey, so.
1: Yeah, girl.
0: So, Anne's getting a bit suspicious of Woolsey. Because, you know, he is a cardinal. And she's like, he must be loyal to Rome and stopping me from being queen. In other sense than being fucking a queen. She gets him dismissed from public office in 15, 28, 29, which is three years, basically, after she and Henry start dating, not screwing. So, girl got some pussy power.
1: That's mm-hmm. all I'm saying.
0: And, hmm, Woolsey has an arrest warrant out for him. Mm-mm. Because Henry agrees to it on the grounds of premature, um... So, basically, that he's, like, loyal to the Pope, not Henry, and whatnot. Woolsey dies from an illness in 1530. Otherwise, most likely, he would have been executed for treason. And during this, like, between the point of Anne getting him dismissed and the arrest warrant, Wolsey gets, like, a bunch of his palaces taken, a bunch of his wealth taken. He's, he's forced to go to his actual, um see so basically where he's actually Cardinal of he, ha- he has to leave his luxurious London palace um he built one of the most fabulous palaces but it might be the Palace of Windsor and if I remember correctly it is also the one that if you go to visit you can still see one of uh, Anne's Anne and Henry's like initials together in their seal <laughs> that they missed. So, Wolsey's dead. Basically, the guy who managed Henry VIII since he became king is dead. Um, in 1531, Queen Catherine is banished from court and Anne basically replaced her. However, the public is not with Anne and Henry. They don't get that he's thirsty as fuck. And they're like, we love Catherine. She's great. She helps out the poor. She's super religious and super awesome. And this is really shown by one event in the autumn of 1531 when Anne's having dinner at a manor house on the river Thames and she's going around and she's almost (laughs) abducted by a crowd of angry women who are mad about this situation. And no one in England's happy about this situation, but it feels like in England or London, they're just like, I think they just get too hot if it's like... There's too many people. It smells horrible at this period because of all the crap they're putting in rivers and stuff. And they just tend to ride a little bit more. But Anne manages to escape because they're on the Thames by boat. Well, on top of this, next year, um, the Bolin family is beginning to put pieces in place to get Anne to become officially queen. So when the Archduke of Canterbury, which is really the highest religious Religious official in England uh, dies in 1532. The Bullens place their family chaplain, Thomas Kramer, to be the next Archbishop of Canterbury. So basically the highest religious official in England.
1: Yes, that's basically the equivalent in the Episcopal or Church of England to the Pope, as I understand it. Although I think it's a council now. <sighs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it, he's. There's a whole reason why it's Canterbury and not London, but it involves Henry V and people being shanked. Um, well, really just the Archbishop of Canterbury being stabbed a lot in the cathedral. But on top of this, in 1532, um, Thomas Cromwell, who is now secretary to, like, kind of secretary slash replaces Wolsey to the king Brings before Parliament a number of acts of sub, supp- uh, including the supplication against the ordinaries and the submission of the clergy, which basically says church over or er, royal royalty over church, king over church, and this is the real clear break between Rome and the English faith. Um, Thomas More, who was working kind of above Cromwell, is like. Uh, no, I'm super religious, this isn't going to work, I'm out. And he resigns and puts Cromwell in his place. Well, Henry puts Cromwell in his place. Um, Anne, at this time, she's not married to Henry yet, but everyone's treating her as queen, so she's able to basically hold a little court, grant petitions, receive diplomats, give patronage, um, exert influence. We see this because... Uh, an ambassador from Milan, which is a separate like city state, in fifteen thirty three yeah. wrote that it was essential to have her approval if one wanted influence wanted to influence the English government view a view corroborated corroborated by an earlier French ambassador in fifteen twenty nine. So basically she's hugely influential in international politics and domestic politics. And I'm like, Yas Queen I don't approve of your methods, but Yas Queen. and we see she has like because of her influence in france and her education in france with the french court she wants to lean closer to france than say spain like catherine would Mm. so and if anyone knows english history you know the love hate relationship with france and england and spain and england so in the winter of 1532 Anne and Henry meet with the French king in Calais, where Henry is hoping to get Francis I of France, which just seems like France of France, um, to support him in his marriage, basically against the Pope. On top of this, in September of 1532, Henry starts to give Anne some titles where she can be important enough to be his wife. He gives her the Marquisette of Pembroke, and... Makes her rich and important. Um, there were really only three, du- like five dukes and marquesses before 1532, and she is now ranking above all other peeresses. basically, and the the more significant thing I think is Henry is performing the investiture himself, so he's showing everyone at court, "So my lady, she's important. You need to respect her." Respect. Anne's family is also getting hell of a lot of benefits so her father um it becomes the earl of wiltshire he was already the viscount of rochford and and henry gets anne's irish cousin and creates him the earl of Ormont. so basically settles that dispute and in anne's in all these so basically when you get promoted like this there's a big party and whatnot and anne's sitting in a spot that's occupied by the queen I think one of the better mm. things that Anne does at this period is making sure that her sis- her widowed sister, Mary, gets a pension and her son, Henry Carey, um, receives a very good education. Okay. Which, I mean, it could be Henry's son. We don't know. No one's done the DNA testing. But <laughs> So, even though Henry and Anne are trying to gain alliance with France, Francis decides to align himself with the Pope because he's Catholic
1: and they're Catholic. Is the Pope Catholic? What?
0: Um, and soon after they return to Dover, the lovebirds marry in a secret ceremony in November 14, 1532. So I think they thought that Francis would agree with them and they marry so they thought they had like at least somewhat of an alliance. And that's why they married. Or, Henry was very thirsty. <laughs> and he couldn't hold it anymore. It's been, what, six years? She's held him mm-hmm. off for six years. Damn, girl. You you earned it. Um, so, Anne, or the thought was she was already pregnant. But Anne's quickly pregnant afterwards. And um, they were like, oh, we probably should really make sure everyone knows there a legal wedding. So, they have a second wedding. Um, according to the royal like customs in 1533, and this is where we see everything kind of pick up, mainly because Anne's fucking pregnant. So okay, but good theoretically. Theoretically, you know, when there's a possible heir on the line, everyone's like, uh, we should fucking get this underway. So in May 1533, Kramer, who is uh, Archbishop of Canterbury, I just is-
1: picture Kramer from Seinfeld, just like. <laughs> Busting into the room with that look on his face and being like, I don't know.
0: He the busts into the room. The he busts into the room and he goes, Catherine and Henry aren't married. And it's Laugh not void." Yeah. Uh, so it took him five days to determine that. And he goes, Henry and Anne are married. Good. So they have a big, in June of 1533, they have a coronation ceremony for Anne. She gives birth. To a daughter in September of 1533, which is what we all know as Elizabeth the First. Great,
1: great lady.
0: Yes. And it's their only child that survives infancy. So, Henry continues his move away from Rome and set it, sets up the Church of England. Catherine passes away two years after this in 1536. Basically, the area where they kind of... They kept her away from Mary, but they kept her... They kept Catherine up in the north in a more, more a castle that was surrounded by moors and was very damp and it wasn't well kept up. So her health kind of declined rapidly. And then they kept like, like she kept trying to be a good wife to Henry. I don't blame any like, I don't really blame any of the women in these situations because they're just playing the cards of that life has dealt them. Yeah, I blame fucking Henry.
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely.
0: Because he could have been satisfied with a loyal wife who wanted to take care of him, but no, he was thirsty as fuck. While the contrasting personas of Catherine and Anne continued even after Catherine's death, um, the public viewed Anne as a sexually promiscuous status seeker because Catherine was playing the traditional role of the queen, helping the poor, maintaining, like, balance, wanting to, you know, keep England stable and prosperous. Anne was also known for her stylish wardrobe, which was more French than English at the time, which also made her disliked. Um, So while Anne kind of got used to being queen, she wasn't really prepared for the role of being Henry's wife. (laughs) Because after a year of marriage, Henry really... Went after two of her maids of honor, Madge Shelton and Jane Seymour.
1: Not the actress, not Dr. Quinn, not Solitaire from, um, uh, oh gosh, oh gosh, uh, Live and Let Die, the James Bond film. Not that Jane Seymour. Fun fact, my mom met Jane Seymour, but that is not, that is for another podcast. Anyways, go on.
0: (laughs) That's a, that sounds like a Patreon perk. Is listening us to, to us talk about that. <laughs>
1: the time um, my mom met Jane Seymour at a doctor's conference.
0: Yes. <laughs> um on top of this, Anne, remember how we said Anne has a a quick temper? Yeah, mm-hmm. Catherine didn't, and so she was able to like deal with her husband cheating on her all the time. And Anne couldn't. She got pissed as hell and would just basically berate Henry for cheating on her. And but Henry goes. I need a son, so I need to fuck everything that moves. Not a reason. It's your choice. But he's becoming increasingly frustrated by Anne and her pissed offness. So their marriage basically is falling apart a year into it. On top of it, in January of 1536, Anne gives birth to a stillborn male child.
1: Mm-hmm. It's Downton Abbey all over again.
0: Yeah, and so Henry basically decides, fuck no, I need to get an heir, and he decides to bed Jane Seymour as his future wife and begins to figure out how to get rid of Anne. Anne only made it, what, maybe a decade? <laughs> Thus, Anne ends up detained on the, in the Tower of London under several false charges, which include adultery, incest, in case you're wondering who the incest was with, her brother, and conspiracy because basically everyone thought that she was conspiring to get a son. And most people believe that Thomas Cromwell, the chief minister, and Anne's former friend, helped pat like plot her downfall, and he's like, we know that he wrote, I take my leave of the world and of you all, and I heartily desire you to pray all for me. Oh Lord, may I have mercy on me to God, I commend my soul. And so basically, she's kind of just like, he's, he's like, he probably is guil- feels guilty because he wants to keep his position, but he doesn't want to get fucked like Wolsey did. Well, after a farce trial in, uh, in May 1536, Anne appears very calm and level-headed and denies all the charges, but four days later, she is uh, convicted by a court of peers. That her marriage was annulled and declared invalid. She is taken to the Tower Green in London for her execution, luckily by a French swordsman. They're known for being quick and efficient.
1: I mean, if if history shows us anything, it's that the French know how to cut off a head.
0: It's true. Oh my goodness, there's so many children outside yelling. The sound- Bleeds through. I'm sorry. Those I live in a hotel. This is what happens. I might, um, well, I
1: might as well live in a hotel. So.
0: So she gives her speech, her final speech, and I'm going to do a dramatic reading. Are you ready, Maxwell?
1: Yes, but I hope it's just her going. Fuck all, y'all. Peace. Drop the mic and out.
0: I fucked a king. Let's go.
1: Um, <laughs> I'm Anne Boleyn, bitch. What's my name? Anne Boleyn.
0: I took down a Spanish princess. What do you fuck? Do you what want? What you got? No, she said, I am come hither to accuse no man, nor speak anything of that whereof I am accused and condemned to die. But pr- I pray God save the king and send him long reign over you, for a gentler and more merciful prince was there never. And to me he was never a good, he was ever a good, a gentle, and a sovereign lord. I take my leave of the world, of all of you. And I heartily desire you all to pray for me. O oh, Lord, have mercy on me. To God I commend my soul. So she removes her headdress and everything. She kneels down, blindfolded. And in one chop, she was beheaded. Her head and body are buried in an unmarked grave. Within a day, really 24 hours, Henry VIII and Jane Seymour were formally wed. And thus God, ends... I hope he is
1: burning it. I hope he... I mean... It's. I feel conflicted saying this, as he is the progenitor of the church, but that doesn't mean anything. You can make. You could be a terrible person, come up with a good idea, and then better people can roll with it. I hope he's burning in hell. I'd really do.
0: He's kind or of a garbage person la- of running history. La-
1: running laps in purgatory. I'll just be nicer about it. I don't know.
0: He. But. He deserves to be in my assholes of history, s- like series, but. I don't feel like doing research on him because I find the women around him so much more fascinating than him. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And they were they were a very interesting cast of characters and uh history and the patriarchy did them dirty. But if there's any solace to come from it, it's that we got Queen Elizabeth out of it. Yeah and she was and pretty Queen solid. Mary. Yeah. Are you excited for the um stories Ronan and um Uh, mar margot roby uh mary queen of scots movie that's coming out in december
0: oh i forgot about that fuck yeah
1: the trailer came out a few days ago i was like oh
0: my god i'm so behind i've been working i I just haven't been on my computer as much hence why i'm delayed on episodes but oh my god y'all i love historical movies i love to look at them as a person who loves history and loves that kind of stuff. And also someone who's been classic, like trained in history to like look at the choices they make and look at how we interpret these figures who are well known and we want to take their stories, but really we don't like, we want to adapt them to our period and I just love it. (laughs) So it's so dumb.
1: No, absolutely not.
0: It's so fascinating to just look at how we adapt history to our current circumstances and i think the fact that they're making a mary queen of scots film right now is so telling of our times that we're like we're not focusing on elizabeth in the golden age we're focusing on mary queen of scots who is basically a fighter from the from birth she's a fighter from birth and
1: who tried to make a honest alliance with um you know another queen ostensibly another queen and the men in their life were just like, I don't like the fact that there's two women calling the shots. Let's make them fight each other, which is kind of tale as old as time. When men can't get their way, they just pit women against each other, and it sucks. And um, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: <sighs> <sighs> just
0: <sighs> I think it's also really I think it's also telling because Mary, she's very much an innocent to her situation in some senses, like. She was sent over to France when she was so young, mainly because everyone's trying to kill her. But she's sent over to France, and then she's expected to marry the French prince who dies. And then she's sent back home, and she knows nothing of her country, so she's, like, expected to rule her country as an alien, and you're just like, this girl could have been such an amazing queen, and all the Scottish people, she could have had such a great impact in that she had a different perspective, but they didn't let her, because they were like, this is the way we do it. And she could have possibly changed Scottish history if they would have let her. I was going to say it's just the, the the Catholic Protestant influence in there too is just it it shows you that even though times change, people never change. Was Scotland
1: its own independent country at that point?
0: Yes, it wasn't okay. until her son James the first. James, it's James the first of England, James the sixth of Scotland, fifth
1: of Scotland. Yeah, um, is the same person. Dude, that's actually going to be a. That's going to be uh, Alan Cumming is playing him in the uh, upcoming season of Doctor Who. Y'all.
0: Yes.
1: Um, but that's neither here nor. I was going to say that maybe if Mary Queen of Scots had stayed alive, we would still Scotland would still be an independent nation. But that's neither here nor there. Anyways, I had a great time recording this. How shall we go out?
0: So thank you everyone for listening. Um, Maxwell, do you have any social media's promotions?
1: You want to? Yes yes plug 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 so uh i have relic (laughs) i have relic the lost treasure podcast which courtney has uh graced with her presence for the episode called adventurous women it's one of the more recent ones we're on a hiatus right now we'll be back in the late fall or early winter after my life i finally get it together well, it's a season break. So if season one's complete, season two is coming, uh, forthcoming. It's about heists. That's the main arc of season two, which should be pretty cool. Um, a lot of great guests lined up for that. Uh, you can find us at, uh, Lost Treasure Pod, uh, Twitter, uh, Relic, the Lost Treasure Pod on iTunes or Blueberry. Um, and then I also have a new off-season podcast, which is really fun and a relief to do because there's not so much involvement because I'm a one-man show with Relic. Um, and that podcast is absolutely nothing to relate to history. What's Well, actually, no, that's a lie. There is a lot of history, but very specific. It's called Everything is Crystals. And it's a podcast where me and my friend Tom, we were both gamer journalists for a while. We make a, we make a drink, drink it, and then inebriatedly, which isn't a word, it is now – Uh, tell um, someone who's never played the games one of the storylines from one of the Final Fantasy video games, which there's a lot of. And if you like literature, if you're a nerd, if you like anime, if you just like bad, um, drunken uh, uh, interpretations of media, it's a lot of fun. And we do have a fair amount of... um, podcast people who are lined up for that who you if you listen to my podcast and you listen to cult of domesticity you'll know those names so i don't want to say who they are yet because i don't like to say anything before it happens but let's just say if you've listened to this show you'll recognize some of the people who are coming on to it um and that's everything is crystals on our twitter is too many crystals because really <laughs> there's there's too many of them um but yeah definitely check it out it's I won't say I'm funny on it because that would be like patting myself on the back, but everyone else on it is really funny and I have a great time doing it. And uh, yeah, you don't have to play the video games or know anything about video games. It's just weird and silly. And you do learn a little bit about uh, the history of game development um, as you go along. So definitely worth a checkout. Anyways, I'm done blathering Courtney.
0: (laughs) Okay. So thank you for listening. Keep your head on. Yeah. Keep your head on. Keep it, keep it on. Bye! Hello, I'm Lude Gallifrey. I'm Sage Murray. And I'm Leon Filger. And we are the Occulte Veritatis Podcast. We talk about anything that intrigues, horrifies, or interests us, including true crime, serial killers, military conspiracies, (laughs) and other mysteries and horrors of reality. So get cozy with your favorite alcoholic beverage. Smoke a joint or two. Only if it's legally purchased medicinal marijuana, of course. And tune in! We would love to have you. You would. You can find all of our links, all of the ways you can subscribe, and the rest of our bullshit at www.ovpod.ca. We hope you listen in soon. Thank you for listening to The Cult of Domesticity. We are available on all podcatchers. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter at The Domestic Podcast. And Instagram at The Cult of Domesticity. If you have a topic request, information, or want to send us a recipe, please email us at thedomesticpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe and share with all your friends. Remember to stay domestic and cult-free.